This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. This morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease, where there are tongues, they will be stilled, where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Good morning again. I'm Pastor Neil. And uh, I want to remind you that Lent begins this week uh, on Ash Wednesday. And so I just encourage you to enter into that as, uh, as you can. And I also want to acknowledge that unless you know what Lent is, what I just said didn't really make sense to you. And uh, the reality is you could be a, a follower of Christ for a long time and not really understand Lent. So if, that's, if you're just kind of like, you know, what is that? Why, why do we always hear people talk about this about this time of the year? You're not alone. And so uh, basically Lent is the roughly 40 days leading up to Easter, where in the tradition of the church, um, Christ followers are encouraged to just uh, really reflect and prepare and focus on the person of Christ and the cross. And many people will actually give up something during this time or fast from something as a, a, a way of making room in their heart for focusing on Christ. Others will actually add kind of some kind of rhythm into their life as a way of just making room in their heart. And so um, you're invited into that. And I also want to know if you're like the majority probably here who just really don't understand this. And um, we invite you next Sunday night to a workshop. You've got a little card in your worship guide that mentions this. Next Sunday night at 630 um, basically, Pastor Mark, with the help of Ann and Pastor Jeff, are going to really try to answer the question, what is Lent? Why Lent? And how can you enter into that? And so we invite you to that. And um, it's also going to be how can, can you enter in as a family? And so we really want to encourage you to consider that. And you'll see on the other side that uh, next Sunday we're also beginning a new sermon series that's related to Lent. So um, consider that. Christian, come on up here. Uh, it may take Christian a few minutes to get up here. He's, uh, he just had his, his knee reconstructed. And so uh, this is Christian Muntean, and he is the executive director of an organization called Beyond Borders. And this is, um, I think, the third time that Christian has been with us. So we've, uh, we have a, a growing friendship with Christian. And uh, Beyond Borders is a nonprofit organization uh, that seeks to work with a, a variety of organizations in developing their leadership, uh, in na- navigating change, as well as just uh, navigating conflict that inevitably arises. And at the heart of what they do is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that um, only a, a, major- a minority, only a few of the, 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 the clients and the organizations they work with are traditional churches or ministries. The majority of the organizations they work with are businesses, nonprofits, 
government organizations, uh, tribal organizations. And so one of the reasons we have come to just appreciate Christian is that he speaks with a love for God and a love for the gospel. And, and he does that in a way that really resonates with uh, really our community outside the walls of the church. And so we're really glad that you're here. And um, congratulations. Uh, Christian is married to Marta. And they just recently had a little baby boy, yeah. five weeks old. Yeah. And we were talking, commiserating this morning. We, we share that in common. Uh, we both just added a newborn, and we just we, we realized we're both really tired this morning. So uh, anyway, uh, we're glad you're here. I want yeah, to pray for thanks. you. So, yeah. Father, thank you for Christian and his family. Uh, Lord, thank you for the gospel. Lord, we pray that by your spirit, the, the love of, uh, for us that you have through Christ would just shine through uh, this morning, and we just pray that you would speak to our hearts um, and encourage Christian, encourage us this morning as we are just experience the reality of your love for us and your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks. Well, good morning. Um, yeah, it's been five weeks of sleep deprivation, so if um, I just stop making sense at a certain point, that's, that's what's going on. Um, let me make sure I can work this. So I was asked to by Pastor Mark to come and speak about forgiveness, and I understand that you guys have been doing a series on, on relationships, and, and my understanding is that it's been focused on particularly the relationship in marriage, um, but that Mark's also working on making this inclusive of people who maybe aren't married, and, and he said I was really going to be good at that because I have lots of single cred because it took me so long to find a woman that would be willing to marry me which apparently is a credibility-giving thing, which if I had known that, um, maybe my experience would have been felt a little different. Um, I haven't been married very long. It'll be three years in April, so I don't feel like I have a tremendous amount of knowledge on marriage. Um, I guess I do have a lot of knowledge on being single. I did that for a long time. Um, uh, But just like all of us here, I have a lot of experience in relationships. Um, Most of my work that I do is not within the family context, it's within workplace relationships. And um, it's interesting, we do probably about 75 or 80 percent of the work that we do with organizations around, around the state, internationally, um, we're invited in due to some kind of a conflict an organization is experiencing. That's usually our point of entry. And um, as we work with groups, uh, everybody responds differently. And it's interesting, when we come around to places of really getting stuck or an inability to move forward, oftentimes it's because of a a real struggle on the part of somebody or many people around this issue of forgiveness. And and I find that to be a pretty consistent kind of experience. And I wish I could say it felt different working with ministries than it does working just in the business community, but it doesn't. Um, It's just hard to forgive. There's pain, there's woundedness, there's a sense of injustice, and it's tough for us to do that. And some people are willing to to walk that path, and other people aren't. And I can tell you when you are, it opens the door for complete transformation. And when you don't, things completely stop. Um, So that's what we're going to talk about today, that forgiveness is this huge topic. When Mark asked that I would speak on it, I thought, man, how do you do that in half an hour and, and do it justice? Because you're touching deep things in people's hearts. And um, so what I'm going to focus on is, is not so much the theology of forgiveness or, or anything like that. 
I'm going to talk about why it's important that you and I forgive the people in our lives. And that's going to be the primary focus for, for this morning. Um, but because I'm a new daddy, I'm going to totally take advantage of the fact that I have a PowerPoint and I'm in front of people. So here's my little guy. Oh, he's not there. There he is. There we go. I was counting on that. <laughs> His name's Elijah, and he was born five weeks ago today. And um, it's just amazing uh, how much a little 22-inch package can displace your entire life. I'm, I'm discovering I'm discovering that's probably just going to keep happening. But um, so here's another picture. I like this one a little bit more so. He's got his little I love zombie kisses onesie on. So Elijah showed up five weeks ago, and he has just been the recipient of an enormous amount of grace. It's just popped out of me. Now, I, I'm not the kind of person that always imagined myself being a father. So, like, one day before my wife gave birth, I just was not ready for this. I didn't, you know, she's kind of been having this experience with him this whole time and kind of waiting to meet him. And all I knew is she was, you know, her body was changing. And there was all sorts of weird stuff going on. But I didn't have any kind of, there wasn't a lot of emotional anticipation or any of these other things that were going on inside of me. And then when he was born, and thankfully there's some fathers that identify with this. The night before, I talked to all these friends of mine that had this powerful emotional experience as soon as their kids were born. Like right there in the delivery room or shortly afterwards, they just had this overwhelming emotional experience. So I was kind of counting on that. And I didn't. I mean, birth is gross. It, well, I was there through the whole thing. And just watching the whole thing, I, I, I've become persuaded that I, I'll have a conversation with God. Why didn't he create women to be more like marsupials? That makes more sense to me. But to like birthing itself gave me a whole new level of respect for, for what mothers go through. But... Um, he came out, and he's there, and he's sitting on my wife's chest, and, and you guys are missing her. She's going to try to make it um, to the next service, but she didn't sleep last night either. So, um, uh, it just took me a long time to realize he was mine, and I, I'm taking him home. You know, I'm responsible for this little guy. But it's been amazing just watching it, for me, just kind of watching my own heart and watching it expand, and, and just how now I, you know, I... I look forward to seeing him when I come home from work and all of this stuff. He's got this onesie here. A bunch of friends of mine who are just kind of real guy-type guys got together and made a bunch of onesies for us. They're not onesies that my wife uses. I put them on them. You know, they're things like I love snakes and I like zombie kisses and American flags and all these different things. He's got a thousand onesies. I mean, people have just given us so much stuff. You know, I wish I could dress him in onesies until he was 18 because he's got enough, <laughs> enough for it. But the kid has just been getting things ever since he's been born. He's a recipient of just automatic grace. It's, it's really kind of a cool thing. Now, there'll come a point, and I want to talk about this, because the automatic grace is easy for us to do. It's, autom- it's easy for me to, when I was dating, to meet a girl and automatically have all sorts of grace. Grace, biblically, it's a tough word, actually. Actually, a lot of words that we use in church are hard to make sense of because they, what they mean for us in the context of church, they don't mean anywhere else in the world. So grace is one of those words. Grace, when we talk about it biblically, means uh, uh, unmerited favor or undeserved favor. It means I like you just because. 
So that's pretty much the only time we ever use grace like that in the normal use of our word of English. Um, but it means favor that's just given to you, and that's what happens here. And we do this in relationships. We meet someone. I, I you, as a single guy, I meet a girl, and I just would give her undeserved favor, unmerited favor, unjustified, illogical favor. I just liked her, and I would do things for her because of the infatuation and all that was going on. And it's not wrong. You know, this is the same thing that you do for puppies. You just, you just give them favor. You just like them because. However, it changes after a while, and the relationships need some maturity. So I categorize grace into three different kinds. This isn't necessarily a biblical categorization, but it uh, makes sense to me, so hopefully it will help, help make sense to you. There's this automatic grace that, that happens. And, and actually, before I go into all of this, I, I want to make a point. What I feel for my son Elijah right now, which is easy. I know that as he gets older and as things change. And it, for me, it's just easy to imagine that he'll always be an amazing kid. And, you know, he'll probably go to the principal's office once in a while. But, he'll just, you know, I also know that he, he's a little free will. And he could choose to do anything. And he could choose to break our hearts and just really profoundly disappoint us. And, and he can choose to do all of those things. And there's going to be a very different kind of a grace or experience or an opportunity to express grace that I can't even probably fully appreciate right now. But I'm just aware of that potential that's there. But God, and this is really important because we don't get this. Many of us have a hard time with this. God, that automatic grace that I feel for my son right now, that's the way God really starts out with each of us. He just really, really, really loves you. And he really, really looks forward to time with you. And in the same way that I try to get my kid to look at me and catch my eye a little bit, and he's more interested in the lamp behind me most of the time, um, God also wants our attention. And he really, really thinks you are special and you are unique. And your attention to him is something that he really desires. Just because you're you and he thinks that's pretty cool. And it's really important that we allow ourselves to be embraced by that concept. Uh, these two scriptures that I picked to be read, first one is Corinthians. It's one that gets read at a lot of weddings. Love. What is love? That's an expression of grace. Love is patient. Love is kind. All of these different things that we just offer to somebody just because. And in Hebrews, the writer talks about um, making sure that we don't fail to obtain the grace of God so that no root of bitterness grows up. Now, as I understand it, the root of bitterness here that's referred to isn't just a feeling of bitterness, but it's the idea of some kind of a plant that's a destructive plant that creates division. And so apparently the whole thought in that was, is make sure that you have the grace of God in your life so that nothing grows up in your relationships that will break the relationships. Now, that's really easy. Those, those roots of bitterness grow up in our marriages pretty easily. And they grow up as single people. They grow up in our relationships, whether with roommates or friends or, or, or in romantic relationships. Those things happen all the time. And we frequently don't know what to do about it. And so I really want to point to don't fail to obtain the grace of God. And we obtain the grace of God by just allowing ourselves to be embraced by it. Don't fail to obtain the grace of God. He wants to give you grace. 
and he wants you to experience his grace, don't fail to obtain that because it will transform your life. This is one of the great works of the faith that we often minimize, is allowing ourselves to be embraced by God. And in that place we find transformation. It's also what allows us to be able to forgive. Okay, so automatic grace. Intentional grace is kind of this maintenance grace. And so my wife and I worked together before we got married, so there wasn't this huge infatuation period of who is she and what's this going to be like. We kind of already knew who each other were. When we got married, our honeymoon period lasted about 36 hours. And, and then it was over, even though we still had this honeymoon that we were on. And, and we have a great marriage. We have a great relationship. The first six months were rough for us. And I didn't, we didn't, you know, on our actual honeymoon, part of that time I was spent on the couch <laughs> during the honeymoon. It was, it was a little rough for us to figure out how do you be with somebody who doesn't just think like me and has all these other ideas going on in their head that I didn't ask for. intentional grace and so we've had to learn and we'll be spending the rest of our lives learning how do we intentionally show grace undeserved favor for each other when right now she or I aren't doing anything to deserve the automatic feelings not waking up in the morning thinking oh I just want to do all this stuff for you I'm waking up in the morning thinking about work thinking about what's on my mind how do I stop in the middle of that and show undeserved favor to my wife how does she show that to me? When we offer this to each other, it's just a, it, it creates space and relationship for us to get through all sorts of different things. When we stop offering it to each other or when we only rely on automatic grace, when those feelings come up, our relationships are doomed. They're doomed in our workplaces. They're doomed in our marriages. They're doomed in your dating relationships. They're doomed in friendship. We have to be intentional. And I used to think grace, I think I would most often hear about it taught very theologically about this thing that God offers us. And I never really thought about it, honestly, maybe until I started preparing for this, this uh, uh, sermon, um, as grace being something that I really need to offer you. And I really need you to offer me. And actually, I guess a couple of years ago, some of this started working up in me. And I started to realize how often I demand grace from people. I go to my office. I'm, I'm impatient. I get sarcastic with the staff that are there. And, and I start to just say things or have an attitude. And I demand that they show me grace. I don't intend to apologize. I don't intend to slow down. But they had better not let their attitude interrupt anything I'm doing or affect me. They had better just respond gracefully to me. I go home and I do the same thing with my wife. I'm impatient. I'm sarcastic. I respond to her however I like. And I demand that she somehow find grace and extend that to me. And if she doesn't, I get more upset. Is this familiar to anyone? No? Okay, I'm, I'm alone. The, it's hard. But I started to realize I have these demands of grace on people, and I'm so stingy in offering it. And I used to think of grace as something that was kind of like this profound one-time event. And now I'm realizing it's supposed to be very, very common. It's a, it's a discipline, it's a practice, it's a state of heart, a state of mind that we regularly return to. How do I show you grace? How do I extend grace to people around me that I don't even know? It's undeserved favor. And God really likes that kind of stuff. He's not as big on justice. He, he, does, he is a God of justice. 
But he says mercy is greater than justice. This undeservedness is something that God really is into. And it becomes confusing because we're really into but what's right. And so it gets confusing for us. Intentionally offering grace makes relationships work. Now, there's always a point in relationship if you're with someone long enough or it's a deep enough or important enough relationship where there's a need for sacrificial grace. And this means for me to show grace to you, it hurts me. It hurts me because I've been betrayed or I've lost something or I feel such a deep sense of injustice. And, and, and if I show grace to you, I'll never get repaid. Or I feel threatened in some way. And this is really, really hard. And so my wife and I went through a lot of this kind of stuff before we got married. You just two people bringing their lives together with all the stuff that's in your lives. And as we started being open and talking about things, there were some painful, painful conversations that we both had to go through. I'm just like, okay, this is who I am. Do you want me? This is who I am. I'm not sure if I want you. You know, and you have these, but we desperately want to be wanted by other people. Sacrificial grace, it transforms things. So here's a few scriptures. Does that make sense, these three different types? There's the automatic grace that pops out of us. It's valuable, it's important. I don't want to diminish it or demean it in any kind of a way. The thing is, is it doesn't last forever. And most of us have that perspective. We all love puppies, we don't like taking care of dogs, right? It's that idea of we want it to pop out of us in the relationships, but the maintenance of it, the actual staying in this place of intentionally offering, sacrificially offering grace, we're like, why should I do this? Well, I didn't ask for this in my marriage. No, you didn't. And that's what makes grace such a unique thing and such a profound thing and such a God thing. And as Christians, we've been asked to join him in that demonstration of grace to other people. And there is no justice in it. So here's a few scriptures. I'm going to kind of crank through these. <clears throat> it's, it, it, you know, if you want to have... It, for me, it's kind of an interesting experience to just, you know, do a word study on grace and forgiveness and Google and just pull all the scriptures up and put them in a big line. And you just start to see how dominant of a theme this is throughout the Word of God, how important this kind of attitude is to the heart of God. Because it's just, there's just tons and tons and tons of scriptures and stories and examples all the way throughout the Bible of, of offering grace when justice was deserved. Love without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Okay, we're evangelical people. We can do that. We can abhor what's evil. We can cling to what's good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, at least to the people that we like, Right? Give preference to one another in honor. Nah, those are two words I don't even use very often. Skip. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, right? So someone's offended me. Restore that person with a spirit of gentleness. That's hard to do, right? We think about political conversations right now. We really get into the people that attack other people without gentleness. Restore one another the spirit of gentleness. What does that even mean? How do you, in a practical purpose, how do you make that work in life? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other. Is, this, is he talking to Alaskan guys here? Tender-hearted? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. This is how we are all supposed to live our lives. Now, how do we do this? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourself. 
Do not merely look out for your own personal interests. It's not wrong for you to look out for your personal interests, but in that, what are the interests of the people around you and how, with undeserved favor, can you meet those? Why do we do that? Because God thinks they're special and he wants our hearts to be transformed where we also begin to believe that. Okay. So here's a couple of scriptures about God's grace for us. And I don't think... It's possible to show grace or forgiveness, and forgiveness is an act of grace. I don't think it's possible to do that very well or very prolonged or very easily uh, if we haven't somehow been embraced by it. Otherwise, I don't know where it comes from. It's a very dry well. Oops. So Romans 5.8 Here's a a picture of God's grace for us. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So as I look at my little son Elijah, and I don't like to imagine him doing things that that may be really painful in the future, but God, before we even were created, he prepared for us to make all of the mistakes that we've made, all the mistakes that are represented in this room, all the things that have caused us tremendous shame. God already knew that we might do these things. And he prepared a way for relationships to be restored. He says, I love you this much that even though you're really going to hurt me and break my heart and disappoint me, my love is greater. And you're more important to me than what you did. And I'm now already going to sacrifice the life of my son so that we have an opportunity for relationship again. This is profound. And if that's not resonating with you, if that's not touching you in some way, I, I would encourage you to bring that to the Lord and say, God, why, why doesn't this connect to me? Why am I not able to connect to, to your grace in that way? Because it'll change you. There's this really powerful story, Luke 7, 36 and 50. Jesus was invited over to this Pharisee's house. The Pharisee's name was Simon. A Pharisee was basically like a Bible scholar. It would be like somebody from North Park or, or, or someplace like that or, or any other seminary. Um, and being invited over to their house, and they weren't, they, they weren't necessarily bad guys. They were just very religious oftentimes. And um, Jesus is invited over to his house for a dinner party. He's hanging out. This lady comes in. And she just starts, she's just crying uncontrollably. And she's being just weird, right? Now, this would be weird at anybody's dinner. Someone just shows up uninvited. They come into the house. They're crying. They're totally out of control. And this is kind of like, you know, Jesus is this popular speaker. And you've got this, you know, uh, Bible scholar person. And it's kind of like a nice meal. And this lady comes in out of nowhere. And she's nuts. And she's crying like crazy, so many tears that she can actually wash his feet with her tears. And she starts to do this. That's awkward. Yeah, that's a little weird. How do you, how do you just, uh, washing someone's feet is not a slow, quick process. You know, you don't come in and do that and be out in five seconds. I used to live, in, I used to, I've worked a lot internationally. I used to live in Israel. And I, I like wearing chacos and sandals and stuff like that. And um, uh, at the end of the day, walking around in the streets there, and it's probably not as dirty now as it was then, but you walk through the markets and you get blood and you get stuff and sewage all over your feet. At the end of the day, the backs of my heels were black and I'd scrape them with the back of his scissors. Every night before I go to bed, I would wash my feet because they were so gross. 
Jesus' feet were dirty. She's washing it somehow. She's crying enough. She's washing with her tears. She starts drying his feet with her hair. That's weirder, right? This isn't normal stuff. And Jesus is letting her do it. He's just accepting this. And Simon is getting kind of stressed out. He's like, now he knows who she is. And he's like, if Jesus was a man of God, if he was truly a prophet, he would know that this slut is touching him. And how do they have this kind of relationship? She's a whore. What is she even doing in my house, let alone why is he having... This is like shameful to us. Because if we act like it's okay that she's here, how are people going to think that we know each other? This is awkward and weird. And Jesus knew the thoughts in Simon's heart. And he says, Simon, let me speak to you. And he starts to tell Simon the story about people that owed all these debts and that were forgiven and the different ways that responded to it. And then at the end of the story, he says, let me tell you something. Her sins are forgiven because she's loved much. But he who is forgiven little, like you, Simon, loves little. Simon, your capacity for love is tiny because you have not received grace. Not because it hasn't been offered, but because you don't even think you need it. Or, for some reason, he hasn't just embraced it. Because he has not been embraced by grace, he doesn't have a capacity to love. That's a big deal. So here's the question for us as people in marriages or people that have relationships around us or wherever we're at, are we willing to allow ourselves to be embraced by grace, which means acknowledging all of our own sin and shame and the things in us and allowing ourselves to be loved despite it all, which which requires vulnerability, so that we can begin to love the people in our lives, so that we can begin to share that with them. If we are unwilling to receive it ourselves, we really don't have a capacity for love. To really enter into love requires tremendous vulnerability on our part because we have to be open about our own need to be loved and to receive an undeserved grace. And that's one of the most powerful experiences in my own marriage is when I blow it, my wife comes up to me and she says, I love you. And I realize right now I deserve to really just be yelled at I watched some. I have, a, I have two two sets of friends of mine, both are Christians, and it's been a really sad thing watching their marriages over the last ten or fifteen years that they've been married, because they're such graceless marriages. And it's one spouse in each of the marriages, a wife in one case and a husband in the other, and they offer their other spouse no grace. Now the other spouses are doing things or have done things that were hurtful, and there's a reason to have been hurt and offended. But there is such a tremendous and profound lack of grace extended. And it completely ends all possibility of transformation in those marriages. And I'm waiting for both of them to get divorced. And they're talking about it. One of them separated right now. It's a complete lack of grace. Now, there needs to be repentance and confession. There needs to be a lot of stuff going on in those relationships. But that's the hard thing for many of us is when we don't feel like we're the offender... We don't feel like we need to do anything except for just to wait. But that isn't really how it works. Okay, why grace matters. I need to move on. It brings us freedom. 
It transforms relationships. It, it, it's, it just makes a whole new opportunity, a whole new set of opportunities possible that aren't possible otherwise. It creates room for healing and growth. All these changes that our hearts really yearn for in a relationship are oftentimes not possible without grace. Even though, and then the tricky thing about it, though, is it's undeserved. We give it when there's no sense in it. Grace is a state of heart. It's really a position that we come to. And I just want to talk briefly about this. Forgiveness is a process, and I think a lot of people struggle with this. And I'm going to kind of really wrap this up briefly with what forgiveness looks like. But forgiveness is a process. It's not something that you necessarily do just once. That you just have that, that interaction with somebody, and I forgive you, and, and I feel fine. And we, we don't ever, most of us never forget what happened. So those are two misconceptions that, that many people have, that forgiveness is quick and that you forget. But forgiveness is a process, and there's many levels. And sometimes we're forgiving somebody who will never confess to us or acknowledge to us what they did. Sometimes we're forgiving somebody who does acknowledge what they did. And there's, there's different ways of relating if there is or isn't confession and repentance. And in forgiveness, depending on what happened in the relationship, there's often time that's needed for the relationship to re- be rebuilt and that there's trust that's restored. And, and some of us don't know that that's okay. That you don't always have to just go back to the way that it was, that sometimes there's some time that's required for things to heal and to restore. But being intentional in that process and allowing it and not being manipulative in that process. So I want to talk about this a little bit. This is basically, and this was helpful to me, and I think you'll find that if you're struggling to forgive or to really release somebody, um, one of these areas may be where you're getting stuck. Um, And I drew this from uh, the work of Ken Sandy, who wrote The Peacemaker. Um, I've added some stuff at the end that I thought was important. But how to forgive. The first thing is we make a choice not to dwell on the incident. So whatever it was that was hurtful to us or wounding to us, this doesn't mean we forget about it, but we don't allow ourselves to replay that over and over again. And when we start to do that game of replaying it in our minds, we recognize that and we bring it to the Lord and we set it aside. We say, okay, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to think about that. I will not bring this incident up and use it against you. And we make that commitment that this is not going to be a weapon. So when we get into another argument, I'm not going to reach back and say, yeah, well, you may be thinking this, or I may have done that, but you did this. And you watch this happen in relationships where we reach back 20 years. You did that. And that becomes this burden that we never allow our partners to ever take off. We just keep putting it back on their shoulders. We start making it their identity. This is how I see you, an awful person. We choose not to talk to other people about what happened. This is, again, an identity issue and an honoring issue. And I choose to protect the way you're seen in public because I'm not going to talk about you and I'm not going to betray you and I'm not going to dishonor you or shame you in front of other people. This is forgiveness. I'm allowing you to step into a new identity. This is the grace that Christ offers each of us. We choose not to allow this incident to stand between us or to hinder our relationship. And I think this, you know, there's, there's, there's the, the, the conditional thing, I think, in this, 
is that forgiveness is, is I, I think it helps me to think of it in terms of like a key that unlocks a door. But oftentimes, um, we really need to make sure, between, depending on what it was, if someone just woke up in the morning and they're really rude to us, that's one thing. If, if there's infidelity or there's some kind of abuse or something like that, that's a whole other thing that's going on. And in that case, there's nothing wrong with, with having a process where trust is established and possibly the same kind of relationship won't be rebuilt, but it'll be a brand new one, a different kind of one. And what that may look like, you know, is it can be different kinds of things. But there's place and room for forgiveness in all of that. Does that make sense? Um, I noticed there was a couple of books on the, in the, the uh, worship guide on boundaries in marriage and boundaries on dating. And, and if you're struggling with what does that look like and how do I make that look, those are excellent resources on what do you do in a relationship where you're being asked to forgive and show grace over and over and over again and nothing seems to change. How do I maintain a place of grace but also begin to try to require change? Because grace, if you think about it in our relationship with God, grace doesn't mean that he doesn't ask us to change. He fundamentally does ask us to change. He wants us to change where we relate and who we are and how we act and all these different things. But none of that is the basis for how we must relate to him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move to close here. Um, but I, I, I just... I was thinking about that story of the woman coming in and washing Jesus' feet and all of that. All of that. And it's, it's amazing to me the comfort that Christ has with everything that makes us really uncomfortable. And he walked into these super complicated relationships and he just, he just waded right into it. And if that's hard for us to do right now, and you're thinking about your marriage, you're thinking about the relationships in your life, and I don't know how to do this. I just want to invite you to ask the Lord to speak to your heart. And I want to invite you, if, if you feel like you're not being met in that place, to find people that can work with you. I know there's been a couple of incidences. Um, in my life, I'll just tell one, briefly one story and then I'll wrap up. Uh, when I was about 16, God began challenging me. Uh, my relationship with my dad was not good growing up. It was, it was pretty painful to me. And when I was about 16 or so, he convicted me, you need to forgive your father. Now, I couldn't really think those words in my head because it was too painful because of what I felt I was owed. And after a couple of nights of not being able to sleep and really feeling torn up about this, I finally said, okay, God, I forgive my father. It was really hard for me to voice that even. Now, it's been a 20-plus year process since then of walking out that forgiveness. But I can tell you in the chronology of my life, in my timeline, the point of forgiveness is a turning point where my life began to change dramatically. And slowly my relationship with my father began to change. The power of forgiveness, the power of undeserved favor is transformative and can transform your relationship. And that's what God invites us to. So let me pray with you guys. My understanding is that uh, for some of you, some people really kind of on this topic, they get stirred up, reminded of things. And I'm understanding there's a prayer team that meets after the service. So I encourage you to take advantage of that or you can come talk with me if you'd like or someone else that you trust. But let me just pray. Dear Lord, um, I just want to lift this group of people up to you. God, I'm overwhelmed and I don't fully even understand what I talked about this morning in the sense of your grace and what you offer us. Um, 
But Lord, I know that you invite us to join you in these things that you've done for us. And, and what I am learning in my own life is much of what you invite us to join you in is an invitation to join you in a place of pain and in a place of, of, um, of letting go and of release. And I don't understand how a holy, almighty God like you um, does this for us. But Lord, I just pray for people here who are struggling with a need to forgive others and a need to receive grace from you. I just pray, Lord, for, for change in their heart, that there will be openness and that they'll be able to be ministered to by your spirit and by the people around them. And God, I pray for an opportunity for a beginning point of change and transformation in their relationships. Lord, we thank you for what you've offered us. In your name we pray. Amen.